Good morning. Are you guys ready to begin our time of worship through song? Okay, so let us stand. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege, for the honor to be able to bring our praises to you. As we take these uh, moments to tune our attentions, allegiances, and affections towards you, we pray, Father God, that you would be most honored, most glorified. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You would lay down your life. Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Who brings our chaos back into order? Who makes the orphan a son and daughter? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who rules the nations with truth and justice, shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. The king of glory, the king above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place.
I'm not alone here in the 
these open seas, your love never fails. The chasm is far too wide. I never thought I'd reach the other side. Your love never fails. You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. you love me your love never fails you make all things work together for my good you make all things work together for my good you make all things work together for my good. All things work together for my good. You stay. You stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid, because I know that you love me, your love. Indeed, Lord God Almighty, we are so grateful that your love never fails. On this day of Pentecost, we praise you and thank you as we recall the extraordinary outpouring of Christ's promised Holy Spirit on all who believed in the name of Jesus. What fear and joy must have filled those called as they received your transformational power, guidance, comfort, help, instruction, ability to recall every word spoken by you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that through your spirit within us, you reveal our great need 
and to confess and to repent of our sins. Hear now our confession, O Lord. Thank you that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. We pray that through your spirit in us, we would turn to you and choose to develop all the spiritual gifts that are given to us, that we may serve you with excellence in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that our beloved children have to attend summer camp. I pray your provision for all who have a desire to attend. May none be left behind due to lack of funds. I pray that you would meet each camper in a powerful way that is very real and very personal. Thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. In this moment of silence, we lift up personal prayers of our heart and lay our burdens and concerns before you. Come, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us. Fill our hearts and minds with your holy presence. Restore the joy to our salvation. Renew us and refresh us in the wind and flame of your power. It is with humility and gratitude and hopeful expectation that we offer these prayers. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Part of the life of the church is to connect with one another. So we just want to provide a time for you to do just that. You might see a buddy of new or a buddy of old, uh, but take a moment, extend a hand, give a hug, and let's give each other a warm welcome. As you guys are able to take your seats, just focus your attention up for this next video. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are so happy that you're with us today. I'm Rihanna, I'm the Director of Children's Ministries. And we are a church that is rooted in prayer. And there's no prayer too big or too small. We actually have a team of people praying for you during the week. So we would love if you would take a moment to fill out the prayer and connection card. And the ushers will be by during the offering to collect those. And summer is right around the corner. And that means it's time for outdoor movies. That's right. Summer movie nights are back. 
These are child-friendly movies where you get to enjoy games and a movie on our front lawn. So you are invited to three movies with us this summer that take place on the last Friday of the month in June, July, and August. We will be featuring Trolls on Friday, June 28th, The Lego Movie Part 2 on Friday, July 26th, and Ugly Dolls, which is brand new, still in theaters, on Friday, August 30th. All these movies are rated PG and there is no cost to attend. The fun begins at 6.30 p.m. so bring a blanket or chairs, a neighbor, and participate in these themed activities for each featured movie. Movies show from 7.30 to 9.30. Now I turn it over to Pastor Steve Murray to continue the sermon series. Hey, you are in for a big treat. If you go to these, uh, by the way, would somebody, Wes, would you do me a favor, close that door? Uh, you're in for a big treat if you go to the, the movie nights. Uh, bring your lawn chair, a blanket. Uh, the movie's sort of irrelevant. It's just being with a bunch of people having a fun time out there on a summer night. And for all the kids who show up, it's a big deal to be out there uh, late at night. Late at night, I mean like eight. I mean, it's getting very late. <clears throat> big night out. Hey, today is Pentecost Sunday, and uh, perhaps that's a familiar uh, thing to you. You uh, are familiar with Pentecost. Maybe for you, it's like I'm vaguely familiar. I remember it uh, maybe from growing up uh, somewhere, going to church. Or maybe for you, it's just, I don't know. I have no category for it. So it's the day that we commemorate when the Holy Spirit was given to Jesus' disciples and the church was born. So I want to give you a biblical context for this event. Uh, oftentimes, on a Pentecost uh, Sunday, people will, we will read uh, the scripture and talk about that event. What I want to do is give you a context for the event. And my hope is that you'll understand Pentecost as God's promise to fulfill his promise, to fill his people with his Holy Spirit. And this begins at the very beginning of the Bible and goes through the entire length of the Bible to the very end of the Bible. And so instead of it being sort of an add-on, oh yeah, the Holy Spirit, where they have kind of a late call audible uh, <clears throat> in God's God's game plan. No, this is absolutely uh, integrated into everything in this narrative uh, describing God's big story uh, in Old and New Testament. So I want to help you, I want to help me experience the Holy Spirit in a fresh way uh, so that you can uh, understand God's presence in your life every day. Not just understand it, but experience it. So that's where we're going today. And I'm going to do it around some words and phrases. And so the first one would be promise. And, and uh, often we have a, a scripture projected, but I'm going to be, be referencing some scripture going through these words. And at the end, I want to focus on one particular scripture. So don't worry about trying to, to, to find it in your phone or anything. I'm just going to read some scripture to you as we go through this and, and, and do a setup uh, throughout the entire range of the Bible uh, to, <clears throat> to help you get a sense of, of the, that the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential to what God's purposes are for uh, this world. So it'll take us maybe two hours. We'll be serving a meal. It's going to be great. And um, let's just dive in. So the first encounter we have with the Holy Spirit comes in Genesis 1, the very first chapter of the Bible, and in the second verse. And so it says this, Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's Genesis 1, 2. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. <clears throat> uh, the Spirit of God. Ruach, Ruach. Sounds like you're clearing your throat. Ruach uh, Elohim. 
So Elohim is a name for God. Ruach Elohim, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, in other parts of the Bible, it'll talk about the Ruach uh, HaKodesh, the, the Holy Spirit, Kodesh Spirit, uh, uh, Holy and Spirit Ruach. So this word Ruach is, is breath, it's spirit. It can mean energy. In fact, uh, one of the, one of the, uh, the uh, ways it's described is the energy of God. Uh, it's very profound, a powerful word. But it's throughout the whole Bible, and here we see it right up front. So that by the power of this Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, everything was made. And the reason we know that uh, is that uh, a rabbi named Saul, who becomes Paul, an apostle of Jesus, uh, first an enemy of Jesus, an antagonist uh, about this whole idea that Jesus could be God and could be the Messiah, comes to know Jesus as his Lord and Savior and goes from being uh, a, a rabbi, a Pharisee, uh, to being a, an apostle, one who is sent. And ultimately, the reason we're here is that he did what God told him to do. He went to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he described it this way in Colossians, a letter to the people in uh, um, uh, Colossae, modern-day Turkey. So Colossians 1, 16 to 20, Paul says it this way. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And the reason I'm reading this is that Paul is telling us that all this uh, creation was accomplished in Jesus Christ by the Father through the Holy Spirit. So we already, we've already seen that the Spirit of God was right there at the beginning. Now Paul gives us this context, uh, kind of brings us full circle on it. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And by firstborn, he doesn't mean God, uh, that Jesus is created. He was born. <clears throat> it's firstborn as if in uh, the, the priority. If you're the firstborn in your family, that, that can be a big deal. I am the, I am the firstborn uh, son of, of seven generations. So the, the firstborn son in seven generations ends with me because we have two daughters. <clears throat> so um, it means nothing nowadays, but at some point in history, in lots of cultures, to be the firstborn was to be the preeminent one. Uh, you, re you inherited everything. Uh, you were treated uh, with, with uh, a special sort of gravitas and privilege. Oh, for the old days. Uh, anyway, so he says, for in him, for in, in his son, all things were created. We know now how they were created through the Holy Spirit, right? All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. How? We know, through the Holy Spirit. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, if you're a physics buff, you'd say there's four forces you know, the strong force, the weak force, electromagnetism, and gravity. But really, the force that holds everything together is Jesus. Who holds the forces together? It's, it's Jesus. Uh, and uh, uh, we're going to be pushing this out next week and talking about uh, what are the practical implications uh, for us uh, making choices and living out our life in the Holy Spirit. So today is really a context for that. And so we see that all things are held together in Christ. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. But the backstory is through the Holy Spirit. If we had time, uh, I, we could walk through that Genesis 1-2 where the Holy Spirit is present. Through every significant 
you know, passage in the Bible, and you'd say, and here, the Holy Spirit, and here, the Holy Spirit. Well, it's, the, it's not mentioned, right? It's the Holy Spirit. Uh, to, to make it a super uh, simplistic analogy, if you look through the photo album of your life, <clears throat> and, and somebody said, well, tell me about all these events. Yeah, okay, well, here's this, and, and my lungs were working, and here's this, and my heart was beating, and here's this, and my autonomic nervous system was fully functional, and, and you go, why are you telling me all this? Because you, it's not in the picture, but you wouldn't be looking at the picture of me if those things weren't present. So that's, that's where we're going today in these words and phrases that set us up to understand how the Holy Spirit is absolutely essential for all of God's purposes and, and for us and our purpose. So promise leads us to the word Passover. Because the word promise is not just uh, I'm making a promise. It's certainly that. God made a promise uh, to redeem his creation. Why did he have to make that promise? Because in, the, in that opening passage in, in Genesis, we see the promise of creation. The potential, right? Oh, that's a child with great promise. That's a young man, a young woman with great promise. Uh, we just had a graduation here. <clears throat> we have 124 kids in this preschool. We had a graduation. This place was packed full of kids and parents on Friday, and they graduated. Thankfully, they made it through preschool. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> hopefully the first of many, <clears throat> many graduations for these kids. Um, they have tremendous promise. And that's, that was my, I, I gave a super lengthy talk, like, three minutes, <clears throat> uh, and they were with me for the first 30 seconds. It was awesome. <clears throat> but I'm talking to them and to their parents about the incredible promise that they represent, right? But God does make a promise because in that promise of what creation could be, we see by chapter 3 in Genesis, we've rebelled against God, and things are going sadly sideways, and it's really a bad situation. And God does make a promise, a promise to redeem. <clears throat> as bad as this is, basically, he says, uh, it's, this isn't the last word. If the first word is creation, the next word, the ultimate word is redemption. And so Passover is this picture. It foreshadows God's promise to redeem creation. And here's the setup for it. <clears throat> because with creation, uh, as humanity uh, starts to fan out around the world, uh, a man named Abram puts his trust in God. And God says, you know, Abram, I'm going to count that for you as righteousness. You're trusting me Counts as righteousness. We're rightly related. And in fact, I'm going to bless all nations on earth through you. I'm going to make you a great nation. You and your wife have not been able to have children. <clears throat> your, your descendants will be so numerous like the sands of the sea. And so Abraham has Isaac, an amazing miracle. He has, he has uh, Jacob. Jacob has a number of sons, one of whom is Joseph. <clears throat> it was a bad day among the brothers with their, their kid brother at the time, and they sell him into slavery. Uh, years later, there's a famine in the land, and as the, as the family sends out some of the brothers to figure out where they might get food, they go down to Egypt. Who do they meet but their long-lost brother? And they're reconciled to him, and the family moves down to Egypt, and the Pharaoh uh, holds Joseph in such high esteem, he gives him the number two position over all of Egypt. And so they're welcomed, and they're treated with great honor and respect in Egypt. <clears throat> and so, wonderful, except that by about 400 years into it, they are, they are now slaves because a new regime has taken over control of Egypt and they <clears throat> wanted to obliterate the previous uh, people that ran Egypt and, and they wanted to put these people uh, who have grown in their midst <clears throat> through Joseph's family uh, into servitude. So Passover is this big moment in Israel's history. 
It foreshadows God's promise to redeem all creation. It's an historic defining event for Israel and a redemptive analogy. That means we see there something so significant, it sets us up to understand what God ultimately does to redeem all creation in Christ. Passover. Why is it called Passover? Because God said to the people, I'm raising up a champion, a Moses. Uh, he instructed the people to get in their homes, to take a perfectly unblemished male lamb, to slaughter it, to take some of the blood and put it on the top of the, the door and on the sides, basically a red cross across the door, and to stay in that home, to consume that lamb, to stay in, in the home, and death would pass over. Uh, <clears throat> some people say the angel of death. It doesn't say the angel of death. It just says the, the, it's the, it's the, the destroyer passed over those homes marked with the cross. Death is the destroyer. Because in our rebellion against God, death enters the world. It becomes part of our human experience, sin and death. And so Passover is this picture of how God's going to redeem his people. The exodus, the, 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 the exit from Egypt is the first step in that, literally. <clears throat> so Passover is a setup for Pentecost. The original purpose of Pentecost, 50 days after Passover, was to acknowledge the fact that God... Um, had done something very significant among his people. What was that significant thing? Uh, it's that God uh, gave the law to the people through Moses. And so uh, this holiday, this big feast, is called Shevuot. Shev, uh, uh, Sheva is seven. Seven sevens is Shevuot. Plus one day uh, is Pentecost, 50 days. And so this big feast becomes a harvest festival, and it becomes one of the three big feasts in, in Israel. Uh, Passover, every ma male is commanded to go to Jerusalem if possible for Passover and for Pentecost. And so it's, this, it's a feast of weeks, uh, a feast of harvest, but it commemorates Moses receiving the law at Mount Sinai. Why is that significant? The law. <clears throat> the law reveals God's righteous standards for Israel. He is a righteous God. He's not like one of the idols that they worshipped in Egypt. He is the righteous God who reveals himself as a righteous God and gives the people a, a, a standard of his righteousness in the law. You know the Ten Commandments, that's the main part of the law, and then there's 603 extra uh, tacked on for good measure. It not only reveals uh, God's standards for Israel, but it reinforces their need and ours for God's redemptive intervention in the world. Why? Because nobody can keep the law. The law says, these are the standards, and everybody says, whoa, great standards, I am substandard in the face of these standards. I can't seem to uh, get it together. Uh, so much so, that while Moses is up getting the law, the people are melting their jewelry in, in, into a, and making it into a statue that they were worshiping. By the time Moses gets down with the law, he goes, oh, forget this, boom. <clears throat> and he, he reprimands the people, he goes back and gets the law, and he comes back again, and the people are in disarray already. Uh, they've received the law, and they're already disobeying it. They've already shown the fact that we need something beyond our capacity uh, to be righteous. So the law becomes a big factor here. Well, God forms himself a people out of this experience of, of receiving the law at Pentecost. And he tells Moses, these are the kind of people I'm forming. Tell the people this, uh, that you collectively will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Does that seem a little ironic? And paradoxical, these people are already compromising themselves uh, in their behavior. And God's saying, and by the way, uh, not only is this a holy place, is this the holy law, you're going to be a holy people, a nation, a kingdom of priests, all of you. 
So the people are given a mission to be a holy nation and to be an example to the nations. And we see an example of this, what it looks like and sounds like, out of Psalm 96.3. It says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all people. So the people are given this, this mission that, that we know historically they failed miserably at that mission. But meanwhile, the land. God has promised them a place. He made that promise to Abraham, and now he's fulfilling it in these people. He lets them walk around for 40 years to get their act more together <clears throat> before they're ready to enter the land. They enter the land, this land of promise, that God established for his holy people to fulfill the covenant promise made to Abraham. I'm going to make a, a holy community out of you that you can declare my glory among the nations. You'll be separate from them. You won't do what they do. But in that separateness, uh, I'm making you a special people to be the people who bless the nations ultimately. So separate as in not, not uh, compromising yourself with those false gods, but not separate as in exclusive. We want you to be a light for the nations. Well, you know how that went. It did not go well. To the point that they were exiled out of their land. But along the way, uh, the prophets. <clears throat> the prophets were people moved by the Spirit of God to help Israel discern their mission. The prophets keep coming up, coming up and, and, and calling the people back to God. There were some female prophets, like Deborah, uh, in a time called the Judges, where they were prophets and rulers all at the same time. And then eventually there were these people uh, that were literally just called prophets. And Peter, in the New Testament, describes them, saying, prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> they were moved by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to bear a message from God to his people. And it was a message that, remember who I am, remember who you are. And the prophets would often say, here are the consequences for not remembering who he is and who you are. And so they, it was a tough job being a prophet. Because they knew that the Spirit had, had called them and commissioned them to bring this message. But often it was very rough being a prophet. You could be rejected and not only rejected, but abused. To the point that Jesus now, not now, but in this, in this setting, but you know, generations later, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, these, these religious authorities, says, you know, you did the same thing to the prophets. They brought you a message from God and you, you killed them. You rejected them. Nothing has changed. But along the way, one of the prophets named Joel on behalf of God, says this, a message from God through Joel. God says to the people through Joel, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Again, a message about the Holy Spirit's involvement in God's purposes. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That is, they'll be able to speak intelligent words articulating who I am and what my message is for you and my purpose is for you. Your young men will see visions, not visions of grandiosity about how great and awesome they're going to do in life, but visions of, hey, I get it. I see who the Lord is. This is who I want to serve in whatever else I do to make my way through the world. He says, your old men will dream dreams. Not in that dreamy way that, that, that older men can say, well, I did this. You should have been there when I did this. You should have seen me doing that. You should see pictures of me back when I looked like me. But dreaming in the sense of, oh, wow, I woke up with a dream that God was restoring all creation and we get to be a part of it. You know? So all of a sudden you see that everybody involved, every, every, every aspect of every generation is called to be this priesthood. And so Joel's saying the Spirit of God will make this possible in all people. So that's the prophets. 
what were they talking about? The prophets were talking about a Messiah, a Savior. And so you see this throughout the Old Testament. The prophets talking about one who would come. Whether it's in Daniel or Isaiah or Jeremiah, throughout the entire Old Testament, you see this promise of a Messiah. So John the Apostle, uh, writing about Jesus' ministry, says this, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Mashiach of God. Uh, Jesus, when announcing his ministry, he goes back to his hometown in Nazareth. And as an honored guest back at his hometown synagogue, they give him the scroll to read during the worship time. And the scroll is Isaiah, the prophet, speaking a messianic prophecy to the people of his day. And so Jesus picks up the scroll or or stands before it and and does it and, and, and reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he reads this with such authority that obviously he's talking about himself. And the first response of the people was, whoa, that was awesome. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, hold on. Wait. That's Jesus. We know his mom. We know his dad. We know his family. Who is this? claiming to be the one who fulfilled his prophecy for the Messiah. They, they run him out to the edge of town in Nazareth, which is on a plateau. And if you drive by it on the freeway, you drive you know, along the, the, the highway there, you look up and see this precipice. So they put him to the edge of this thing, and they're going to push him off. He just turns at him. He kind of gives him one of these things, you know. Uh, I read it, and I meant it. And they part, and he walks through them, the Messiah. Finally, we get to, to <coughs> the, the spirit uh, that we're more comfortable thinking about. Because we discount any mention of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament because we're not aware that the Holy Spirit is completely integrated into the Old Testament. So here we, we talk about the Spirit in ways that we're probably more familiar with. For example, the angel appears to Mary, this young woman, saying, you're going to bear the Messiah. Oh, really? Well, how so? I'm, I'm, I'm a virgin. Well, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Confirming that the Messiah is coming and is coming through you. By the power of the Holy Spirit. And your obedience to God. Then John the Baptist. Explaining to all these people who were coming out of the city of Jerusalem and from other villages to hear him talk about the kingdom of God. Repenting. Wanting to be baptized. And they're saying, are you him? Are you the Messiah? And he says, no. I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now we're getting closer to this moment we know as Pentecost. Because this is, this is at the beginning of his ministry, and he's talking about a baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire. <clears throat> and so then Jesus was baptized. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Basically, he is the one. He's the the one you've been hoping for, praying for, that the prophets have told you about. And the one who's now come to fulfill the promises of God and the purposes of God. 
And so Jesus then, in that final meal with his disciples, before going through that, that night of interrogation and humiliation and, and torture and ultimately crucifixion, <clears throat> he says this to his disciples. The counselor, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of holiness, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. All things were created through Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. All things will be redeemed through Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to the church. At the church. At Pentecost, this Pentecost that we're most familiar with, the most recent one that we're familiar with, not the one at Sinai, but now the one following uh, Jesus' resurrection. By how many days? 50 days, right? Pentecost. Seven sevens. Seven weeks after Passover plus one day. <clears throat> you have a Pentecost celebration. At Pentecost, God pours out his spirit and establishes the church, fulfilling what Jesus had told his disciples, which was this. You see this in Acts 1.8. You will receive power. What triggered this is that they finally say, okay, we get it. You've, you, you, you are the resurrected Lord. You're the Savior. The, you're the Messiah of God. Now are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he's... And instead of saying no, uh, he, he answers the question that they should have asked. What does this mean? Because there will be no res restoration of their kingdom. Their kingdom is too small. It's not about your kingdom. Yeah, the Romans seem like a big deal. The Romans aren't your problem. It's that you aren't filled with the Holy Spirit. That's your problem. And therefore, you have no power. That's your problem. And therefore, I have no witnesses. That's a problem. So he says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even to San Diego, California, <clears throat> the ragged edge of civilization itself. And so then we see in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, 120 of them, all ages and stages of life. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. What happened at creation is happening in Jerusalem on this occasion of Pentecost. And instead of receiving the law under the auspices of Moses, they're, they're receiving the Holy Spirit under the auspices of Jesus. And so <clears throat> the people are, are freaking out over this because these 120 people evidently go from the room where they're meeting to outside and they're praising God. And they're praising God loudly and they're praising God in languages that they don't speak. <clears throat> and meanwhile, because this is one of the big feasts of Israel, the city, is, is, uh, in Jerusalem is jammed with people from all over the known world. Anybody who's a Jew who could has come from where they live to go to Jerusalem. <clears throat> and they speak languages that are not Greek. They probably speak Greek uh, for international purposes. They probably don't speak Hebrew because they haven't lived in Israel for a very long time, most of them. And if they do speak a language close to that, it doesn't sound like what these guys are speaking. Because these guys, these people, men and women who are now speaking in tongues in languages that they don't know and aren't their main language, are people from the north of Israel, from Galilee. Galileans would be the equivalent of somebody getting up right now and speaking, sounding like this. Hey, y'all, so good to be here today. I'm just loving this place. 
San Diego is my kind of place. And you go, hey, you're not from San Diego, are you? <clears throat> no, I am not. How could you tell? Well, I think you're from the south. Well, that's how it was for the Galileans in Jerusalem. Even the Jerusalem people said, say that again. You're from Galilee, right? You're from the north. Well, here are, the, here are these Galileans. The primary disciples of Jesus were Galileans. Throw in a few local people. And now they're speaking languages that they don't know. But the people hearing the languages are saying, that's my language. How do you know that? What's going on here? And Peter stands up and says, let me tell you what's going on here. Let me put this in context. And then he tells them a longer version of what I just told you. And they're dumbfounded because he ends it with this. And by the way, this is from Jesus whom you crucified. And they're struck. It cuts to their heart, it says. And they said, literally, dear God, what are we, what, what are we to do? And here's what Peter says. Repent. Turn toward God. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is not a local gift or a regional gift. This is not a gift limited to the whole expanse of Palestine. This is an international gift. In fact, this is a gift that's bigger than any international kingdom. This is a gift from God himself. It's his kingdom that is being inaugurated in Christ through the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so where does that bring us? It brings us to Christ in you. That whole narrative is about Christ in you. Not limited to you. It's not about you, but it includes you. For God's purposes are that you would be filled with his Holy Spirit so that you can be his witness wherever you live and the area just around where you live and the area just beyond that to the uttermost parts of the world. God, it says in Colossians, uh, Paul writing again, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. How is it that Christ can be in you? We now know through his Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, he is the one that we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. How does that happen? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit uses the content of the word and of worship and of any number of things we'll talk about in a moment. But it's through the power of the Holy Spirit alive in people, making them alive to God and his purposes for them. This is accomplished like everything God does through the power of the Holy Spirit working in everyday people every day. Not a special category of people. Everyday people every day. <clears throat> so here's the verse I wanted to focus on with you in the time we have left. Again, Paul writing to the Colossians. Colossians 1.29, he says this, To this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. <clears throat> He's just been talking about presenting everybody mature in Christ. Christ, the one who holds everything together, who's given us his Holy Spirit to create something new in us, even as he created the world. And he uses this very interesting language. To this end, I strenuously contend. Strenuously contend uh, is, is, is a bummer of a word, I'm telling you. 
because it's the root for our word agony and agonizing. Agonizamenos is the word used here. It means I am <clears throat> getting beat up. I'm working really hard to the point that I am exhausted. I'm working really hard against odds that I think could defeat me and overwhelm me. <clears throat> I'm going for broke. It's, if, you, if you want to take a, a close uh, role model from, from uh, Scripture, it's Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating drops of blood, saying, if this cup can pass, this idea that I'm going to lay down my life for the world, if we could do another, something else instead of this, that would be really good. But what does Jesus say? Not my will, but yours be done. He's agonizing. Jesus agonized in the garden. Paul's saying, <clears throat> if, you, if, you, if you want to experience all this wonderful stuff, be prepared to agonize. It's a bizarre thought, right? I thought this was all about grace. I thought our, our strength wasn't enough. Exactly. Because that's why he says, I strenuously contend with all the energy. Remember that word energy? It's a description of the Holy Spirit. Here it says, energia. Energy, with all his energy. Christ so powerfully works in me. The power of God in us allows us to lean into, even in the face of things that are agonizing. Is your, is your marriage agonizing right now? <clears throat> Get a new spouse. That's what I do. I mean, I would just, oh, shoot, that's a different message. I'm sorry. <clears throat> no, what do you do? You say, okay, Lord, how do I lean into this? Because a willing man and a willing woman can make a marriage work. Maybe you're agonizing over your children. How about give up on trying to control them and just start working on loving them where they are? That's agonizing, but they won't do what I say. Just do what God tells you. You do what he says. Are you agonizing over some big challenges at work? Are you agonizing over issues with your health? Are you agonizing over the economy uh, and, and lack of your economy? Are you agonizing over anything or anyone? This is the message for you. Don't stop agonizing. Don't give up. Don't, don't say forget it and walk away. Maybe God is using this for the express purpose of making you mature in Christ. So that you can be used by him to help others become mature in Christ. So that your testimony would be, I was awesome, I got it done. Your testimony would be, you know, I was agonizing and I couldn't make it happen. But I realized that Christ's energy was working powerfully within me. And so I kept at it. I kept leaning in. One of the prophets, Zechariah, records this conversation around a man named Zerubbabel, when the people were off in captivity in the Old Testament, the end of the Old Testament, they're taken off into captivity. Isaiah first, and then Jeremiah and all these other people, both sides, both ends of the country, Judah and Israel, the whole country called Israel, subsequent waves of, of exile. Eventually, people get to come back to Jerusalem, and they start rebuilding, and a guy named Zerubbabel uh, is tasked with rebuilding the temple that's been destroyed. And he's getting so much pushback, it's so hard. It looks like it'll never get done. And he's frustrated and discouraged. And through Zechariah, God says this to Zerubbabel. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And then he goes on to say, who dares despise the day of small things? To, 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 to rephrase that, it might look small to you that you're too small for this big task. But it's not just by your might and your power, Zerubbabel. I've called you, and I will 
equip you, and I will carry you through. Because it's not by your might or your power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So don't under, underestimate what God can do by his spirit at work in you. The spirit of God living in you is your power source for living in him. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means you ignore or minimize the Holy Spirit. What can the Spirit of God do? This is a money issue. What can the Spirit of God do? This is a relational issue that's complicated. What can the Spirit of God do? This is a health issue. What can the Spirit, and you can go on, right? But what the Spirit of God can do is redeem you in the midst of this horrible situation, first of all. And what the Spirit of God can do is to equip you to have a better attitude and a better approach to an otherwise impossible situation. And it's the Spirit of God who will either deliver you from that situation or deliver you through that situation to a conclusion you could have never imagined otherwise. And maybe when you finally stand before him someday, you'll say, what was that all about? Nothing good came of that. He goes, ah, uh, yeah, you just don't know it came out of that. Because God is ministering through his Holy Spirit to you and through you. He's doing a work in you and a work through you. It's just not all about you, but it concludes you. So to quench or grieve the Holy Spirit is to ignore or underestimate the power of God's Spirit at work in your efforts. Your efforts aren't the opposite of grace. His grace makes this possible. But your efforts are the response, the appropriate, the appropriate, reasonable, necessary response to his grace. What will you do because of his grace? I'm going to learn how to love. Right, exactly. What are you going to do in response to his grace at work in you powerfully? Uh, learn to forgive? Ah, good. Let's keep going with the list, right? Serve, give, pray, learn, humble myself. The Holy Spirit uses the ordinary and the extraordinary to help us flourish. Let me, let me say it another way. The Holy Spirit is active in the miraculous and the mundane. The mundane means the quotidian, the daily stuff. Don't say everything is a miracle or nothing is a miracle. Say life is a miracle and a gift. How do I live into it? Knowing that God can use anything, conventional or unconventional, to achieve his purposes. And sometimes God will say to you, I'll handle this, just trust me. Other times he says, trust me and I'm going to show you how to handle this. And that's what wisdom and discernment is about. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us be wise and discerning. And so that's the gift of the Spirit, that Christ lives in you and you thrive in Christ. So God's Spirit works signs and wonders in and through his people. What do signs and wonders look like? For starters, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Whoa, 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 what about the miracles? Yeah, yeah, those might happen or they might not. But the biggest miracle is when a person like me starts to love. When a person who's, who's uh, maybe feeling like you today starts to experience joy in spite of the circumstances. Or peace, or patience, or kindness, or goodness, or faithfulness, or self-control. Powerful signs and wonders, don't you think? And then the gift of the Spirit, in addition to the fruit of the Spirit. What are the gifts of the Spirit? God gives us through his Spirit things that will allow us to build up the body of Christ. He, he equips us for ministry through his Holy Spirit. What would that look like? Studying the Word, learning how to pray. It might lead to visions. It might lead to dreams. It might lead to some interesting things, speaking in tongues. Maybe God has given you the capacity to speak in tongues as part of a worship language that helps you connect with him. Maybe he's given you the capacity to see the Word of God and to find really wonderful ways to apply it to everyday situations. Maybe he's given you the capacity for mercy and compassion, for hospitality. There's any number of, of gifts from the Spirit uh, that along with the fruit of the Spirit 
releases the power of the Spirit in you and through you. And so what does this mean to, to walk in the Spirit? It means learning to lean into life with the power of God's Spirit at work in you. It's an act of faith. Lord, I know because I've received you as my Savior and Lord that your Holy Spirit is working in me to achieve your purposes. And so, Lord, I want to have the mind of Christ, so I'm going to have a mind on Christ, right? Having the mind of Christ requires having our minds on Christ. If you're not in his word, if you're not in some kind of community that lets you process what you're experiencing or not experiencing, you don't have any content to work with, and all you have is that spin cycle of your own uh, crazy thoughts. Who could I kill and where could I bury the body? You know, that's a crazy thought. I was a friend of mine, he, he, uh, was driving through the desert with a, with a suburban full of junior high kids, and he's, he's one of the greatest youth leaders of all time, written 50 books. You go see him at a conference speaking, he's magnetically incredibly fun and funny, but he said, and he's serious, he goes, I'm driving through the desert, and these junior high kids are driving me crazy, and I thought, wow, I could bury all of them out here, nobody would know. I could bury every one of these kids out here, and nobody, and he starts laughing to himself, and the kids go, what's so funny? He goes, oh, nothing. <laughs> See, it's having the mind of Christ by having a mind uh, for Christ and on Christ. It's having the heart of Christ, which means having a heart for Christ. That comes through being close to Christ. That comes through being in his word, in prayer. Learning to practice spiritual disciplines that, 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 that the Holy Spirit uses to help you grow up. To contend in the face of agony. Trust that God is with you even when you can't see or feel him. You'll not always feel spiritual, but Christ is always with you in the spirit. If you go by your feelings alone, uh, nothing will happen in life. You'll never feel like doing anything most of the time. There's no other way to be spiritually alive than to walk in the Spirit, and it's not that complicated. So let nothing hold you back from the life God is calling you to. You are part of the new creation in Christ through the Holy Spirit. Yes, you. Yeah, but I haven't done, forget what you haven't done. You are part of the new creation in Christ through the Holy Spirit. And so what should we do? Well, believe that the Holy Spirit is in you and will renew you and will sustain you. Believe that the Holy Spirit is in your marriage and will renew it and will sustain it. Believe that the Holy Spirit is in your family and will renew it and sustain it. Believe that the Holy Spirit is in your church and will renew it and sustain it. Well, what if nobody believes but me? Then if you're in the presence of all these people, the Holy Spirit is there. He doesn't ask for permission to be the Holy Spirit. He simply is the Holy Spirit. And so what do we do? We say, come Holy Spirit. That's our prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. If you were a kid in catechism, maybe uh, you, you remember saying that. It's part of uh, uh, confirmation in the Catholic Church. It's part of the Catholic catechism. It's part of the Anglican catechism. It's part of the Protestant catechism. Come, Holy Spirit. So in, in, in a few moments of silence, we're going to simply focus on that prayer. Pray it out loud if you want. Pray it silently. Get on your knees. Fall on your face. Sit in your hand and in the, in the, in the chair with your hands up. However you're comfortable, for the next 30 seconds, we're simply going to have in the silence of this place, in the presence of the Lord and his Holy Spirit, we're going to pray that prayer uh, so that we can start realigning ourselves to God's purposes through, uh, for us through his Holy Spirit.
And so, Lord, we pray, come, Holy Spirit. Fall on us like you fell on those people at Pentecost. Fill us like you filled those people at Pentecost. Renew us and sustain us. Remind us of your ministry within us. Make us aware of your presence as we read your word, as we reflect deeply on it. Help us to see your presence as we interact with people who speak your words to us, words of encouragement and comfort, sometimes words of confrontation and challenge, through whom uh, we hear you speaking to us in your Holy Spirit. Fall on us, Holy Spirit. Fill us, Holy Spirit. And as we continue worshiping you, as we bring our tithes and offerings, Lord, we bring ourselves first and foremost. We offer ourselves to you. We bring uh, what is most precious to us, and that is the life you've given to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would, by your presence in us through your Holy Spirit, give us the life that you've created us for and are redeeming us for. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so the ushers will come forward at this time to receive uh, the offering of the morning. Be sure to offer yourself to Christ. Worthy of every song we could ever sing. Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring.
Uh, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, uh, make that uh, happen today. Simply invite him to come into your life, and you will receive his Holy Spirit. Uh, if you've found, found yourself wandering far from him, or you just feel like you're out of touch with him, then simply say, Lord, again, uh, come Holy Spirit, fill me, renew me. Uh, <clears throat> you receive the Holy Spirit uh, once when you receive Christ as Savior. But for the rest of your life, you're constantly being renewed. Uh, in the Holy Spirit. So wherever you are, uh, open yourself to God's Holy Spirit so that you can have the life you were created for and that you are being redeemed for. If we can pray for you in any way, for any reason, for yourself or for anybody you're concerned with, go right out the door and around the corner to that lovely prayer garden and somebody will be there and you don't even have to tell them what you want prayer for. If you want to tell them here, pray about this, great. But if otherwise, just say, I, I, I'd love you to pray for me. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all.
both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Cross before me, the world behind me, 
turning back, no turning back. Christ is enough for me. Christ is enough for me. Everything I need. Turning back, no turn. 